everybody. Hello. Welcome to the Macaw Podcast Universe. I am Jordan. I am Micah. We are married. Period. Period. End of discussion. Don't even come at us with that. On this that. podcast, we, pro- we exist to prove people wrong when they say sequels are never better than the originals. Yes, and um, if, you, if you are new and you're jumping in, um, we are exploring... We're doing something kind of a little bit different than usual. We are, yes, covering franchises, but this year we're covering the character that is Batman. Mm-hmm. And we have covered Batman 89. We've covered Batman Returns. And today we're covering the first live-action director that is not Tim Burton with Joel the Schumacher's... live-action director of Batman? Yeah. That's not Tim Burton. Yes. Okay. Uh, thank you for translating. There's a lot of directors who have done live-action at this point in history. That's very true. Um, all the way back to that train that went into that theater. Yep. Uh, and uh, we're covering Joel Schumacher's Batman Forever. Now, this movie, I think, if I could give it a one-word, uh, a one-word uh, uh, description, is zany. <laughs> yeah. This movie is as zany as it gets. And my, yeah. I think to to kind of spoil my opinion before we get into it is. I don't think this is a particularly good movie, but if you're going to make a movie that's bad, or I, I prefer this over a boring superhero movie any day of the week. Give me this over Fantastic Four 2015. This is like The Godfather, comparatively. Yeah. And make, make it at least interesting. If you're going to do something wild, make it wild. And for that, I kind of love the movie. But I also it I it, it's a bad movie though. Yeah, I think it is, but um, it's too interesting to just put in the category of like boring, uh, superhero movie. They are having fun. I think everyone here is had fun making it. Yes, maybe too much fun though. <laughs> it it does seem like they're maybe having too much fun, but uh, I mean, I would just love for them to come out with a movie like this now. Yeah, I do think. Uh, I think Aquaman is maybe in the same zone, actually. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, I think it takes itself a little more seriously than this movie. But maybe but... It, in a good way? Like it It, it yeah. has some self-respect yeah, that it's... this movie lacks? Well, I think the, the key thing that James Wan did in Aquaman is he did not shy away from the fact that this is a man that talks to fishes to fish and lives in the sea and is the king of the sea. Whereas Zack Snyder was, right off the get-go, you could kind of tell he was trying to be like, no, we're going to make Aquaman cool. And James Wan is like, "Yeah, but he's Aquaman. He's we're weird. Gonna, we're going to make, this is going to be a nerdy movie. Yeah. Let's make it nerdy. Yeah. But we're, after covering Insidious, we're like James Wan apologists at this point. So we love the guy. I actually cannot wait to rewatch that because I thought it was really silly when I first yeah. watched it. But I also thought it was really visually stimulating. So... I saw a funny meme thing the other day that said it had a it said what is more useless Jason Momoa's bodyguards or bananas wrapped in plastic. <laughs> I think the picture the the comments were the bananas wrapped in plastic actually. I would have to go with Momoa. <laughs> Momoa, yeah. Well, we so, just don't need that extra plastic. That's why. We don't need the extra plastic, but he doesn't need a bodyguard. He he had two in the picture. That's very funny. Yeah. I guess if things really go down, though, he just needs two guys to help him out. Yeah. I mean, he might be all muscle, no fighting skills. 
I don't know. He's done a lot of movies. I think he's got I, yeah. He's got some fighting skills. Um, so this movie is directed by Joel Schumacher. Yes. Um, he is the man who directed Lost Boys. Oh, okay. Flatliners. The yep, seen that one too. Not the not the newest one. Um, the Kevin Bacon one. Yeah, the client. A time to kill. Um, in more recent, uh, he passed away last year. Oh, okay. Um, but in more recent years, he did the number twenty three. So he reteamed with he Jim Carrey. Did okay. That movie is, in a word, insane. Yes. Uh, he's not one for subtlety. No, no, not and at I'm, all. And I'm not counting that against him either. Sure, yeah. <laughs> um, screenplay is by Lee Batchelor and Janet Scott Batchelor and Akiva Goldsmith. Um, so Lee and Janet Scott, they don't really have many credits. Okay. Um, and I, I believe they're a married couple, um, but I didn't really look much further than that. Akiva Goldsmith wrote A Time to Kill, the Lost in Space movie, a Beautiful Mind, Cinderella Man, the Divergent series Insurgent, hmm. and recently he did The Dark Tower, hmm. which is one of the worst movies ever made yeah. and a horrible adaption. That's a pretty interesting career. I know. it's like Maybe he should stick to drama. Well, it seems like it's either like a home run or uh-huh. complete garbage. Hmm. Um, a story by Lee Batchelor and Janet Scott Batchelor, and they also did uh, the, new, the new movie Pompeii that came out a few years ago. I forgot that they did that. I think everyone did. I forgot that movie existed, actually. Yeah. Uh, music is by Elliot Goldenthal, who has done Alien 3, the original Pet Cemetery, Heat, Public Enemies. He's been around. He's a Michael Mann guy? I, uh, yeah. I, not all of his movies, but a few of them, yeah. Yeah. Um, man, I wiped down this, this mic, and now I'm like breathing in a 409 bleach right now. <laughs> Am I going to die? No. Okay, cool. Uh, this movie comes out June sixteenth, nineteen ninety five. It had it made no. The budget was a hundred million dollars. Domestically, it makes one hundred eighty four million, and worldwide, it makes three hundred thirty six point five million. And for any box office nerds out there that listen to the show, I have officially made the switch from box office mojo to the numbers which was a whole thing, and I'm not going to bore you with the details. But I have no idea what you're talking about. It's a website. But anyone who's listening knows... The Numbers is a website? And Box Office Mojo is a website. I've heard of that one. Box Office Mojo was the standard, but then they, they made some changes, and I think they were bought and sold, and ah. they don't have nearly as much information anymore. Oh, and interesting. The Numbers is kind of becoming the standard. They both have pretty awful websites as far as like visually. Yeah. I don't like to look at them. But... The numbers has more accurate numbers. Huh. And I I actually saw, I think in Batman Returns, that the numbers were like wildly different between the two. Well, with a so, website called The Numbers, you'd think they'd be the most accurate. Yeah. So as as with most people, uh, after the, the changes of the, of the Box Office Mojo website, I am now switched to The Numbers. I will not be using Box Office Mojo or endorsing it any longer. Thank you for coming to this TED Talk. <laughs> so... Let's get into how this movie was made, unless you want to interject. No. I've been nonstop right now. No. Okay. So, after the darkness and intensity of Batman Returns, and a lower box office return than uh, the Batman, the Uh first movie, um, Warner Brothers kind of asked Burton if maybe you could step down. Jeez. He's only made two of them. Calm down. (laughs) And they even lost a Happy Meal deal with McDonald's for uh, 
Batman Returns. So yeah. they were losing out. I, that's kind of like that sounds silly, but they were losing out on endorsements and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, that's a pretty big deal. That's where that they movie. make like most of their money. Yeah, and and we we discussed last week how um, they got like thousands of letters from parents. Yes. So um, I kind of get it, and it seems like Burton was a little like, yeah, I don't really want to do any more anyway. This is good timing, and he's still a producer on this movie. Yes. So Warner Brothers starts looking for another director. And they're like, we, we like the Schumacher guy. Maybe we could hire him. And Schumacher and Burton were friends. Oh, okay. So Schumacher's like, this sounds really fun. I think I'd really like to do it. But let me make a phone call first. He calls Burton and is like, would you be okay with me directing this movie? And Burton says, go for it, man. Huh. I'd be happy for you to be the guy that takes over. So a nice transfer of power. Yeah. I always like hearing that. That Burton's got a couple other great movies to make, so. Yeah, and he became, at this time, there was also a bit of, it seems like, a lot of rewriting of the script and stuff for this yeah. movie. And, um, you know, their emphasis on the lightness of tone, and Burton's just, like, losing interest, and he's getting more attracted to directing Ed Wood. Yeah, which, which we're all thankful for. We're all thankful for, and is top ten Burton's easy. Yeah. Um, so... Warner rejects the first script of this movie. So now we're going back to before Schumacher's signed on. There's a script that's submitted, and it's more of an adaption of Batman Year One, okay. which was a comic book that Kevin and Will yeah. Hines recommended to us. Um, and it had Scarecrow in it and Catwoman. Okay. They reject it. Um, and then they get another one going. Um, then um, after Kilmer... Val Kilmer was cast as Batman, which he was, when he got the call for Batman, he had just visited a cave in Africa for a movie he was working on. I'm assuming Ghost in the Darkness, because that's in Africa. And he had just been in a cave full of bats, and then he gets this call that's like, hey, would you do you want to be Batman? And he was like, didn't even think about it, because he's like, that's too coincidental. I'm going to be that's, Batman. <laughs> that's kismet. Um, uh, why didn't Keaton do it? Um, He just kind of like, I think it's, basically the Burton thing for him too, where he's like, I'm not really digging these scripts. This is taking a little longer. And if Burton's not going to direct it, less interested. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he just kind of was like, I don't really want to do this anymore. Um, but then they had, oh my gosh, I forgot to look up who it was, but they had this other actress um, cast as the original Chase Meridian. Yes. And she was dropped from the project when Val Kilmer was cast because the studio said... She's too old for Kilmer. Audiences aren't going to buy it. Now, I already told you this, but their age difference is six years. She's yeah. only six years older than him. And usually the man is like 15 or 20 years older than the love interest. Completely. That is sexism at its finest. Uh -huh. um, can you tell the audience about that recent movie where there's a with Ray Fiennes. Yeah, I haven't looked it up in a while to confirm it, so I might not be totally right on the facts, but this, there's a movie coming out on Netflix called The Dig, starring Ray Fiennes and Carrie Mulligan, and it's based on true events where during World War II, this married couple, I can't remember why, but are digging on their property, and they, they, they dig up crazy stuff. Like, I'm assuming historically crazy stuff. And this is during a world war. Um... So based on true events, like I said, but the movie got a lot of backlash and it's not even out yet because Mar Ray Fiennes and Carrie Mulligan are married and Ray Fiennes is quite a bit older than her. 
So he was born in 1962, and Kerry Mulligan was born in 1985. So he's almost 20 years old. No, he's 23 years older than she yes. is. And I think when I read the, the thing that I was reading, the in true, in real life, the woman and the man were not that much, were like either the same age, two years apart. She was two years older. Like there was not an age gap in there. between them so it's like okay so this is you're just casting i I don't know whatever are you looking it up no uh no i i i was actually looking up who was originally cast as chase meridian but um while you were doing that but it's it's crazy there's there's this as much as um hollywood has progressed in a lot of like sexist issues yeah there's still stuff like that that's like what what it's just weird too because World War II, I mean, any World War movies are like, anyone's going to watch them. They're always going to be interesting to an extent. And I do think that, especially if it's dur- it's war-related, you have an older audience that's interested in it more mm-hmm. than anyone else. Yeah. So why wouldn't you cast a, a woman more age-appropriate to history, to like the historical facts? To, or to even like, just cast a male that's the same age as her. Yeah. But also it's like, Cause they, I'm I don't sorry, know how, I cut you well, off. I don't I know off. how old they were like when these events took place. That's a good point. Like maybe he should be younger. Yeah. Um. But it, it's like, what are? It's also just so complicated too because Carrie Mulligan, she's a great actress. We and love Carrie. She is a like people probably saw that she was in this movie and they were like, oh, I'll watch this because she's really good. I don't they, think she has anything wrong in this movie. No, I'm it's not putting nothing blame about that. It's just the, and then I guess you could also say like Ray Fiennes, he's also a box office draw. Like, yeah. like, like people will see a movie cause he's in it. Cause he's a good actor, but dude, I mean, it's just so hard to look at that and be like, you, I mean, did you cast her because she's young? Because as history tells us, it doesn't matter how old the, how old the man is. Apparently if a man's old, people still find him attractive. Yeah, like we still need the girl to be, but the woman really it's young like, looking. Oh, she has to. Once an actress hits thirty, they're like, uh, "You're like a mom slash grandma." Well, I think Karen Mulligan's like thirty four. Yeah, and it's like, oh, she's so old. It's yeah. what some like people in Hollywood probably think. And it's crazy that needs to die. Which is also funny because she's in that movie. What's it called? Promising young woman. Promising young woman. And I remember seeing a trailer, and I was like. She looks so young. How? But I feel like she's been around forever. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand it. Anyway, it's 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 a fascinating topic to discuss, and it it really boils my blood. Yeah. Um. Because also, there's just a lot of. I mean, if you go through um, an actor's career, an actress's career, there are points where you see like, oh, okay, she's like the hot thing, and she's the femme fatale, and she's the the girl in all the movies and then it's this drastic cutoff where she is now like the divorced woman Mm -hmm. or the the old married mom Mm -hmm. or and then and it's like they don't they don't get to have those roles where guys can be in any role any age and they have there's plenty of material for them and i don't think that there aren't movies that have scripts like I think writers are writing these kinds of roles for women, yeah. But studios are like, no. It's when it comes down to casting. Yeah, they're like, no, we can't have that person in it. She's in her forties. She she has to be, you know, she's got to be an old old woman now. Well, it's just like there are just so many action movies where like a man is the main character 
And especially like, let's say, for example, Mission Impossible. Tom Cruise is in his 50s now. He still looks great. But he's in his 50s. Yeah. He's been doing this for a long time and they're still just letting him do it. Not complaining. And and part of that is because he's a producer. If there was no, I know that. another I producer, know that. But I'm also thinking like Liam Neeson. He always gets yeah. to do action movies and we still pay money to see them. How come whenever a woman gets an action movie, it's always a revenge tale getting back on people who have hurt her? Yeah. And she's always like the age of just a mom. Like it, it's just, I, I like they're not giving Helen Mirren an action movie besides Red where she's the only woman yeah. in the in the cast of men. Yeah, that's an action movie. It's it's weird. It's it's really complicated too because I I mean we're scratching the surface. I know, and, and I, there is yeah. more nuance probably than we're giving it value to. But yeah. it's still like so. This movie, Batman Forever, to bring it back, the they cast Renee Russo is her name, and she she is um, she's in the last two Lethal Weapon movies, In the Line of Fire, Get Shorty, The Thomas Crown Affair. You, you you've okay. seen her? Okay, yeah. I mean she's very famous and. I've seen, I mean, Lethal Weapon came out, Lethal Weapon 4 came out in 1998. <laughs> she looks fantastic yeah. in that movie. So don't don't fire her from the movie. I mean, that's just so ridiculous. I, I will even... say, though, Nicole Kidman doesn't seem crazy young compared to Val Kilmer. I don't know what their age closeness is. Yeah, let's you can maybe see look it how up. old But Nicole it's almost Kidman like, is. so this woman was apparently too old, so then you got Nicole Kidman, like, she doesn't even seem that much younger than him. Like, like, why does it matter? Yes. <laughs> Unless so, she is, so I here's, don't know. So here's the sexism of the whole thing. Okay. So Val Kilmer, born in 1959. Nicole Kidman, born in 1967. So it's literally just sexism. Yeah. So the other person gets yeah. fired because she is six years older than Val Kilmer. Nicole Kidman gets, fire, gets hired, and she's eight years younger than Val Kilmer. Yeah. That's so stupid. That's so dumb. I mean, the Chase Meridian character is like one of the worst characters ever put to film anyway, so <laughs> who cares? But, well, and then one one more thing is because, well, no, I, I'm, yeah, I think I've said my piece on that. Yeah. But um, anyway, so uh, let's talk about something kind of strange. Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> There's this weird period in film history where Michael Jackson was would try really hard to be in movies. So like he really wanted to be in Star Wars the Phantom Menace and okay. like really I I believe he attempted to be Jar Jar if I re am remembering correctly. Huh. And George Lucas is like not super interested in that. Uh -huh. There is a great episode if you're a Star Wars fan of the podcast Newcomers with Lauren Lapkus and Nicole Byer where they talk to um, Ahmed Best, who is Jar Jar Binks, and he tells the story about him meeting Michael Jackson. That's right. That's right. And Michael Jackson was like all excited to meet everyone and totally gave him the cold shoulder because he was he no, had no, vied for the role of Jar wasn't Jar Binks. It, he didn't even know that he didn't get the role until he met him and was like, Yeah, yeah. And George Lucas is like, Jar This is Jar Jar Binks. And Michael Jackson's like, Oh. Yeah. Well, it's like, uh, yeah, he's bummed. <laughs> this is how you're telling you. But uh, yeah, it's funny. That's so, funny. So who's he trying to be in this movie? So he tried really hard to be the Riddler. Okay. Which, come on. That's I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. That's, that's wild. Um, if he was it, though, I don't care. I'm fine with it. <laughs> I mean, Jim Carrey was great, but it's also like Jim Carrey did what he was supposed to do, <laughs> you know? Um. Then I thought that there was a more... In so so if you remember in Batman, uh, uh, Billy D. Williams was Harvey Dent. 
Yeah, what happened to that? I thought that there was like a big interesting story about that. It was as simple as Schumacher signed on and just recast. Huh. Happens all the time. Which I just think is such a bummer. Yes. Because I really, even though Billy D. Williams is not in Batman very long, he has a really compelling performance well, to he, me, and I would have loved like, to see that turn. He he's famous at that time too, right? So it's yeah. like it, it's like he you know was casted to be Harvey Dent, and he's like, cool, I can't wait to get my moment in the spot in the sun. Yeah, and then he just recast the character. It's kind of a bummer for him. I would have been interested to see him as Two Face. Well, and and I do think. Um, and I, uh, you know, I've said this many times on the podcast, I'm a huge Spider-Man comic fan, and that's pretty much the extent of my comics knowledge. I read a ton of Spider-Man. So I don't know a lot about Batman, but I have read a few runs. But just You've read in, the whole Nightfall thing. Yes, yes. But I mean, not to, you know, I'm, not, I'm not an authority on Batman. Sure. You know, I just have my opinions about him. Because if we have any fans from screw it, we're talking about comics that are still listening. Okay, okay. I gotta yeah. give them the forewarning. Yeah. But... They're a gentle, nice crowd who I love very much. Um, but Two-Face, I think one of the problems I have with this movie is that the interesting part of Two-Face is seeing him turn from a righteous uh, servant of the people to someone who's selfish and takes justice into his own hands. And with Billy D. Williams, I think they could have done that. Um, but with a new cast, it also just feels like, oh, he, this guy never existed as an attorney because it's a new actor. And then we, I know we see footage of him turning into Two-Face, but we don't really experience his origin of Two-Face. And I think that's really essential to the character of Two-Face. Um, yeah. I mean, that's his name. Yeah. And in this movie, he doesn't have a good side at all. No. No, no matter how much they emphasize how zany he is, it's just a bad side and then a worse well, yeah, side. Because he just keeps flipping the coin until he gets what he wants. Yeah. When when in um I love in The Dark Knight when Harvey is luck. in the car with the Falcone <laughs> guy and he flips the coin and he's like, You're safe. And then he flips it again and he's like, Not the your driver, driver though. Oh, and he man. puts on his seatbelt. Oh my gosh, I love that. Yeah. Well, and also in hindsight, we got a really excellent two face origin story. In the, dark, in the night. dark night, so yes, it's a yes, little yes. hard to look back on this and just see Tommy Lee Jones trying to outdo Jim Carrey in well, every it's like, scene. It's like, oh my gosh, don't even get me started on that. But <laughs> oh, we're I'm gonna I, get you started. No, but it's like, why did they give the Riddler the origin story? Why, like, they probably should have flipped it. Yeah, or maybe not had Two Face in the movie. Definitely, definitely. But uh. Yeah, so that's that's the Two Face story. We'll we'll get into more of the parts of the movie. Um, but here's a quote. So I watched. I always love when you, you when you read stuff about a movie and they talk about how dramatic the production was. But then you watch behind the scenes and you see the actors and directors and stuff on their Warner Brothers set being like, "Yeah, people said I had problems with this person, but I don't know what they're talking about. How could oh. you not? How could I have problems with this person? Come oh, on!" Okay. And you don't really know what to believe. Okay. Um, I guess there was some stuff that a lot of people heard that Val Kilmer and Jim Carrey like hated each other on oh, set. Okay. But then in the behind the scenes, Val Kilmer says, how could you not love Jim Carrey? He, he's amazing. Yeah, we but had like fun. who's making the behind the scenes though? Right. Um, but so here's a quote. Um, Schumacher had problems with Kilmer, whom he described as, quote, childish and impossible. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> Reporting that he fought with various crewmen and refused to speak to Schumacher for two weeks after the director told him to stop being rude. <gasps> um, Schumacher also mentioned Tommy Lee Jones as a source of trouble. Jim Carrey was a gentleman. He and- kept telling Tommy Lee Jones to tone it the F down. Well, here and... I mean, this is what we're just saying about the movie. Jim Carrey was a gentleman, and Tommy Lee was threatened by him. I'm tired of defending overpaid, overprivileged actors. I pray I don't work with them again. Oh, brother, that's crazy. Carrey later acknowledged Jones was not friendly to him, telling him once offset during the production, I hate you. I really don't like you. I cannot sanction your buffoonery. That's what Tommy Lee Jones said to Carrey. In makeup, probably. (laughs) <laughs> it's like can't even take him seriously he turns to the purple side of him and says it and then the other side turns and he's like how you doing today jim it's most i bet it's likely that he wasn't makeup because it probably took so long to put it on he was wearing it most <laughs> of the day it but we also know i mean if you look into carrie at all he seems like a pretty difficult guy to work with does he he does i mean he's got that whole documentary about man on the moon yeah but i don't to me that's just that, as far as I know about Jim Carrey, which isn't much, that was like his magnum opus to him yes. was playing Charlie Kaufman. And I know that he was difficult making Man on the Moon, but it was like he, he I mean, have you watched the documentary? I haven't, but I've oh, seen okay. clips it's and It's really stuff. good, but he it's talking about how he like truly believed Charlie Kaufman. He was channeling Charlie Kaufman. Yeah. And, and then at one point he's like, could, could you imagine if I played God? Right. Which is, wait, he kind of did. But anyway, uh, but but like it's like oh, who are who do you think you are? That's the weird thing about Carrie. So I watched this actors roundtable, and it was comedians on comedians with variety, and it had like him, Don Cheadle, a couple other. I can't remember any of the other guys. And already, I don't know what people of this podcast think, but hearing comedians talk about comedy is sort of like the most pretentious thing you could possibly listen uh-huh. to. Uh-huh. It's these so people was he who, just taking it too seriously? Like, so seriously. And he's talking about Sonic the Hedgehog. And it's oh, like, okay. dude, yeah. at the end of the day, you're Eggman. Yeah. Like, you should, ju- like, don't overthink this. Just be goofy and zany. Yeah. And that's what you do, and that's who you are. You don't have to be this guy who's like trying, like, you don't have to prove yourself. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing we've talked about through this podcast with Adam Sandler that we really love is that, even if we don't like his movies, he's not trying to pretend he's a pretentious actor. He's just like... Who would have ever thought this would be something we would believe? I know. He's like, he's like, hey, when I fart on screen, people laugh. That's what I'm going to keep doing. Yeah. I'm going to do poop jokes and stuff. And it's like, well, I mean, you're sticking to your guns yeah. and you're not trying to prove yourself to anybody. Yeah. But comedians go through that thing a lot where they're like, okay, now I have to do my Oscar play. Hmm. No, definitely. Yeah. And so, I don't know. I think Carrie's one of those... Guys, it's weird. Okay. Anyway, um, so a- so this movie was nominated for cinematography and sound effects, and then finally, this is my last thing, and then we can get to your part. Um, when Schumacher died last year, there became cries of release the Schumacher cut because apparently there are like hours of footage that are not in here, um, and there's a reason why it wasn't because they had to make a movie that people could sit through in a theater so they had to edit it yeah and also the script sucked so i don't know what they could add that would make the movie better well i can tell you what a couple of things they were going to try to add Uh, some of the differences included bruce facing off against a human-sized bat 
The darker, oh. more serious tone, less of an emphasis on Dick Grayson, and a focus on Bruce's psychological issues with Chase. Oh, no. No one wants that. Well, apparently people do. I know, do. I know. I don't want that. So, that's what I have for this movie. But Is this th movie even that popular? Well, I think that the Schumacher movies, like, literally in the last five years, have gained a lot of popularity. Because I think people are just so sick of the Zack Snyder Batman that they're like, these are fun. Like, I can watch this movie and enjoy it. Or I can watch it with my kid and not be like... Yeah, like, here's what depression means. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I get the popularity, but... The, all, all that life has become is making every person special and unique. And why can't people just do a job anymore? What? What are you talking about? It's just like, like, where everyone... It's just, what am I trying to say? It's just like, as artists, sometimes it's just like, I'm going to do my special thing because it's special to me. Or people put so much importance on something and they never really considered, was it ever really that good to begin with? Okay. And, and it's just like, why can't we just let Batman Forever be Batman Forever? Why do we need two yeah. extra hours? Let's just keep it. Yeah. This is coming from someone who saw this movie for the first time the other night. Yeah. But with the, with Yeah. So I, I know I'm just being a grump about it. Being well, and I, I think that the Snyder cut, like, whole story and which we will get into soon enough in a couple of months, it's just so exhausting and it's ruined any sort of fun for me that I've had about, like, I wonder if there is a cut of Spider-Man 3 that Sam Raimi believed in more and I would love to see that. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. Now I'm just like, you know what? Whatever. Spider-Man 3 came out in the year it came out. I don't remember what. And that's the movie. Deal with it, folks, or don't. That's what, I, that's what I'm, like, I think trying to say. It's just, like, they're filmmakers. This is their job. I understand it's really hard to make, especially a franchise film, because you have to appease the, the production company. But it's, like, you had a job, you did it, or you couldn't because of a family emergency, and it's over. Move on to the next job. Yeah. It's time to move on to the next thing. Yeah. Instead of like, oh, it's the 15th year anniversary of this. Let's go back and redo stuff. And it's like people, you're just trying to get more money out of people. That's the, that's really all it is. Cause I don't think anyone really cares. Well, and I don't have anything against alternate cuts to movies. No, it's like, making a huge deal out of it. Yeah. Like if Warner it. brothers was like, Hey, you know, it's been 20 years. We're going to release a three and a half hour cut of Batman forever. Whatever. Cool. Do it. I don't care. Yeah. And I'm probably not going to ever watch it. But don't don't make it this like hill you have to die on That's where fans are like like if you don't release this like I'm never going to watch a Warner Brothers movie or some stupid crap like that. Yeah, it's just like this is I mean, I don't know the whole Blade Runner story, but it's impossible to really know what version to watch. So it's it's like do we really want to keep doing that to other movies so that in yeah. 50 years people are like which version of this do I watch? <laughs> Although it is funny bring up Blade Runner. And, and I do get the comparison between that and Justice League because it is like Ridley Scott was not allowed by the studios to have his vision fulfilled. Yeah, yeah. And it's taken him years to fulfill that vision. Which one have I seen? We watched the final cut, which is the fan, like, this is the okay. one. Okay, okay. Um, but, but at the same time, too, I think a lot of these guys go back, and when they have 20 years of hindsight, or even like Snyder going back, it's been... Five years since Justice League come out came out. So he's not, no matter what, no matter what circumstance, he is not making the same movie he was attempting to no, make. No, no, not so at all. So it is a new movie. Yeah. And so 
it's going to be an absolute disaster. I can't wait to watch it. Completely offended by the Joker pictures of him as Jesus, but I cannot wait to watch the movie. And I will probably within five minutes consider turning it off because of the statement it's sending and how it makes you me have feel. fun wrestling with that. Oh yeah. Inside. It'll, it'll be like, Hey Jordan, go to the movies or something. I gotta, I gotta oh, yeah, have I will the not night be, to watch this four and a half hour crap fest. Um, <laughs> clearly I am in just a grumpy mood today. So sorry for anyone who really likes this movie. Um, okay. So on to actors, we have Nicole Kidman who plays Chase Meridian. Um, around this time in her career, she was in malice, my life to die for the portrait of a lady, the leading man. But you know, she's also in eyes wide shut, big little lies, happy feet, the golden compass, Australia. She's a lot. But she's still on the rise when this came out. Is that oh, the she's impression? She's been in a lot of stuff, though. Oh, okay. So okay. it's like, sure, maybe, but also, I feel like she's in a lot of stuff. Okay. And then um, Jim Carrey, who plays Riddler. Let me get to the right year or the, around there. So in 1994, he's an Ace Ventura pet detective. Wow, 1994 was a big year for him. So this Ace is Ventura, like the miracle run. The Mask, and Dumb, and Drummer, Dumb and Dumber, and then Batman Forever. And the same year of Batman Forever is Ace Ventura When Nature Calls. 1996, The Cable Guy. 1997, Liar Liar. And then, hold on, 1998, The Truman Show. So some, something about that year, 94. Um, I, I can't remember the starting amount, but that first movie, The Mask, he was paid, I think, a, a quarter of a million? Yeah. And by the end, the end of the year, he was an actor that was had a price tag of 20. So he it, it is like it is like a miracle run that like no other actor has ever like done what he has done in a year. I believe. Uh-huh. Those numbers might be a little different, but it is that significant of a change. Wow, that I did not know that. That's crazy. And the the guys who made Dumb and Dumber would go on to make the best picture movie Green Book. Never forget that the Farley brothers. Farley. I think it's Farley. I've always heard Farley. Oh, maybe I'm wrong. Wait, let me. I just got. I see. think there's an E in between the R and L. Where, where am I looking? Dumb and Dumber. Oh, and so that's how my dad always said it, and I've never actually seen what how their name is spelled. Doesn't matter. Um, he's also in Simon Birch. That's is he the really? movie. Wow. Yeah, which is a movie that you need to see. I've seen most of that movie. Oh, okay. I thought you haven't. But, uh, you know, for me, Jim Carrey as a kid was my favorite actor, as just as him and Eddie Murphy were my favorite actors. Yeah. So yeah. anytime they were in a movie when I was a kid, it was my favorite movie of that current time. Okay, then we have Tommy Lee Jones, who's in Men in Black, No Country for Old Men, Lincoln. The world's greatest grump. Yes, right? not in this movie, though, but yes. I've never seen him act so much. Yeah, that's so true. Um, and then Val Kilmer, who plays Batman, so he's in The Doors, The Saint, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, that other movie you talked about. Ghost in the Darkness, the Ghost first the R-rated Darkness. movie I ever watched. Um, I don't see him in anything anymore. Well, and he- I always feel like he's retired, but like he has a 2020 <laughs> yeah. credit. Well, he was in uh, MacGruber. In okay. The, in the two thousands, um, yeah, I, I think he's had a lot of personal stuff. I, I, I don't remember, well, was he but sick. I think he had cancer I, for a while. Yeah. 
Um, I always get him mixed up with Patrick Swayze for that reason. I don't know why. Not that like I think that he's passed away because I know Patrick yeah. Swayze has, but I think for a while I did think that Val Kilmer died because I just didn't hear about but him. But he's for, been like, in four movies years. like every year. It's just nothing that we watch, I guess. Yeah, it's mm. just it, it's interesting. I just know so little about Val Kilmer. Um, and then Chris O'Donnell plays Robin. He is the quintessential '90s boy to me. Just that look. Yep. Um, he his biggest thing, especially of since 2009, is being in NCIS Los Angeles. He's in it looks like every episode of that. He's also in Hawaii Five O. Oh, just an episode of that. Um, he's in Cats and Dogs: The Revenge of Kitty Galore. <laughs> he's also in NCIS, Max Payne, Grey's Anatomy. He's in a lot, a, a lot more TV than movies. Grey's Anatomy. Wow, what a guy! Huh? Making it into the anatomy. And then, um, just fun little thing: Drew Barrymore is in this movie. Barely, but she's yeah, in it. Very weird. Um, and then. John Favreau. It says assistant John Favreau. Huh? I didn't feel not like we see would John have Favreau. seen that. Do we have to watch this movie again? Yeah. But that's pretty much the cast. Yeah. So let's talk about the movie. The movie right away. Something I do like about it is it just is like okay, we're going to kick into gear and we're not going to stop until at the end of the movie when it says directed by Joel Schumacher. And I, that's great. That's great because sometimes with superhero movies, they take a really long time to get to a superhero. Uh And that is kind of why we bought the ticket to the movie. Yeah. And so I love how it's just like, it just cuts to like Two-Face and he's just ripping off i mean i wish there was an origin for two-face we'll set that aside but he's just ripping off this weird bank thing he's got a helicopter it makes no sense how it's working is zanier than i've ever seen tommy lee jones ever ever in my life and probably that we'll ever see ever i mean he's just short of like shooting his machine gun into the air it is like he is giving a performance of a lifetime like he is trying he's giving every ounce of himself he really is this role and um and then Batman like maybe that's why he's so grumpy now because he spent all of his energy on this <laughs> role. <laughs> yeah, um and and so Batman, you know, he puts on his costume. We have the cool shots of him like gearing up. Yeah, and then he goes out and he fights him. And well, well, first he shows up and we get introduced to Chase Meridian pretty quickly. Um, she's a psychologist and she was a specifically there because she specializes in split personality. I think, mm. which is. The, all the whole two face thing, and also the worst psychologist in the world. Also, really weird overdub of her voice. Her voice sounds so weird for most of the movie. Yeah, but um, also the 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 millisecond she sees Batman, she is like borderline ripping her clothes off. <laughs> it is so offensive. Her whole well, it, character. Yeah, she's I guess I guess she studied split personalities for so long that she's just so taken by him. I guess it's like Harley Quinn to the Joker. Yeah. I, oh, she's probably so close to being Harley Quinn. Yeah. But it's it's pretty weird. Um I mean I know it's a joke in the movie, but we have this psychologist. And movies don't treat I mean, even today, movies are still trying to be actually um supportive and 
of like uh, mental uh, illness, d- disabilities, and stuff like that. And and it's hard to find movies with good uh, representations of those. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I know that, but it's like, and we're in the nineties, oh, but I- it's like th- this joke throughout the movie. I just was like, really? Where where she keeps saying. Like, well, at the end of the day, this guy's a certified wacko. And, and I'm like, like you, you're a psychologist. You're, what are you talking you're a professional about? professional <laughs> and like an esteemed professional within this community. And you're calling people with mental illness wackos? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so weird. But I know that does but fit also, like the just, tone of this film. It does because there is a scene in this movie where we do see Two-Face's origin. He's in a courtroom. Acid is thrown in half of his face. And Batman, in full costume, jumps out of the audience <laughs> yeah. and diffuses the situation. That implying that Batman was so sitting in the, in the audience, his costume on. <laughs> the dumbest thing. It makes no sense. So much of this well, movie is just no one combed through. Like, did only two people read this script? Well, but, so here, here's my counterpoint to this. I think that Schumacher and the writers of this movie. This, this is why I think this movie is sort of good because they comb. They made this movie that was like kind of an updated version of the Adam West stuff. Uh-huh. And they basically threw out like like this this is not a real world. This is not a place you can visit. And everyone functions in this zaniness. So anything unrealistic is is in no way are they trying to make it realistic. I bet when they were filming that courtroom scene, they were like, "Why is he wearing a costume?" and they were probably giggling on yeah. set cuz yeah. they're like, "That's hilarious." This movie does not take itself seriously at all. So I think it's, I think it's like, uh, not like it's a, it's, I wouldn't criticize the movie for doing something like that because right off the bat, when you see Two Face, you're like, oh, this is, this is going for it. I just can't believe that Val Kilmer wasn't dressed up as Batman at the circus because they really could have used Batman in that situation. (laughs) But he's just there in the audience yelling, I'm Batman, while there's a frenzy going on. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of a masterpiece. So so the safe gets out of the bank. Batman and the security guard are in it, and it's filling up with acid somehow. And It must be that acid that was dumped on his face. Sure. And so gets the safe out. Guy is the other... I don't know. Batman safely puts the safe back where it belongs inside of the skyscraper. With, By using a grappling hook and a rope. Yes. And the security guard is completely safe. Love that. And then the, the, he, the, I don't know, Two-Face, his plan doesn't go according. It doesn't go according to plan. He's thwarted. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so then Bruce Wayne is walking around Wayne Enterprise and he's going into the tech division. Yes. And he's... So what do you think of Val Kilmer as Bruce Wayne? Um... Uh, no, the, the, his, <laughs> his performance makes me thankful for Michael Keaton. Yeah, and like as a listener knows, it's not my favorite Bruce Wayne even. But geez, Michael Keaton's so amazing compared to this. Yeah, uh, I I don't really have any like take on it. It's just kind of like it, it, it. I don't know. He shows up and does his lines. Is how Bruce Wayne feels to me in this. Yeah, me too. He's just doing his job. Apparently, he's being rude about it. But yeah. But um, I both simultaneously think this scene is the wackiest, insane scene that sucks and also love it. Um, Jim Carrey, it's like they said, hey, you know how you're insane in your movies? We would really like it if... Turn you, it up to 11. If you would like 
be a little more insane. Uh huh. And then maybe like take some crack before each take. Uh-huh. Would that you know that'd be good for you? And um, so we're introduced to Edward Nigma. Uh-huh. E. Nigma. Enigma. The Riddler. Okay. He's got green stuff everywhere around him. I love, I love the that colors stuff. in this movie rule. The sets are really cool too. That, I feel like they are they have maintained the burden thing, but they've also made it their own too. Yeah. But the, everything is like it's just artistically it's very cool. Yeah. I'm into that stuff. And so he has I never fully understand his plan. It's not really explained very well. Well, he like puts everything on the line professionally to try and get Bruce to buy his idea where he can like, it's basically VR manipulating brainwaves yeah. and to having someone actually experience it with it, like within their surroundings. And Bruce says, manipulating brainwaves, that's dangerous. No, which is also this thing too. When, <laughs> yeah. when he's like, we'll set up a meeting and Nigma's like, no, I need an answer now. Um, dude, you're nobody. You don't tell Bruce to make a decision right now. You take what you can get. Yeah, yeah. But that is like the thing that sets him off. <laughs> right, which is a little <laughs> bit like, what are and we no, talking about? Like, oh, he was really unstable to start <laughs> off with. Which he does act that very well. He yes. looks unstable. Um, and so there's this, there's this great scene where Ed Begley Jr., who we love, yes, um, is his boss doing a very strange accent. Um, he, he like started the scene off talking like he normally does, and then he gets an accent. <laughs> it's very weird. Yeah, it's weird. Um, but he's like, Edward Nigma, you got it. You're fired. And Enigma's like, actually, let me put this box on your head. He keeps referring to these giant blenders as boxes. Yeah, and they don't look like boxes. Definitely a blender. <laughs> it's a. It's just a blender. It's a blender. Even when he has enough money to make the actual thing, it's still a blender. It's a, just a blender. And he puts it on his head, and then he puts part of it on his head and turns a tv on now this whole scene is like a terry gilliam scene yes and it's really actually so cool yes it's it's overloaded there's like too much going on in a really good way and the effects of the fisherman sticking out of the tv set as ed begley jr is experiencing it i thought was freaking cool yeah that was really cool i have a question though so the whole thing is Wait, you have a question about this device, huh? Jim Carrey gets like gets smarter because he's basically taking the guy's brain waves. But That's what doesn't what I'm confused make sense about. is we never he he's never shown as being smarter and the people never are never shown as being dumber. <laughs> That's why I'm good exactly. That's what I was gonna like, say. Like next. when the when he turns the te- the the box off and takes it off of Ed Be- Begley Jr.'s head, he still like is pissed and is still gonna like <laughs> He's like, dude, him. I gotta fire you. <laughs> and it's like, no, shouldn't he be like duh like he couldn't even talk? <laughs> I would think he'd be at least drooling. Yeah, no, but, he's still as mad as ever. He's mad as hell, and he's not going to take it anymore. <laughs> yeah, so I don't, I don't know. That's why I'm confused about the plan. Yeah, because he keeps saying how it's making him smarter than everybody, and it's not. No, he and his riddles are not even that clever. I mean, they're pr- well, they're I feel pretty, like they could have utilized the riddles a little bit more in a more fun way. I mean, they're pretty good riddles actually, yeah. but they're like. They're like, you what know, I you'd find think, them in maybe a kid's book or something. Yeah, what I think is always funny about riddles, I think, I'll say it, in the Hobbit movie, when Bilbo is doing the riddles with Smeagol or Gollum, I think they do a pretty good job on, they they seem tough for the for the people who are playing. That's and the best scene in the trilogy of The Hobbit. And in it's this a great scene. movie, when a riddle is ever popping up, 
Bruce gets it immediately. Pretty much anyone gets it immediately. And I'll say, I'm really bad at riddles, so maybe it's just me, but it's like, how did you get that so fast? (laughs) Are you like, are you reading riddles every night just in case this ever happens to you? And then then that scene toward the end when he's like, all four riddles have a number. Have a number. 13, 8, and, or 13, 1, 8, or something like that. Maybe they're letters in the alphabet. And then he's like, 13, 1, 8. M-A-A, or whatever they're assigned to. I, I don't remember what they were. And then he's like, he's here. And then they just know where his hideout is. Yeah. Okay, that was fast. Yeah. That, you know, no no real detective work there. Yeah. Um, I do want to mention, so in Batman Returns, my favorite moment of the movie is when Penguin says long dart and throws a long dart yeah. before he does it. My favorite scene in this movie is when Val Kilmer needs to turn into Batman and he goes into his office. He sits down on his chair and goes, chair. And then the chair <laughs> opens up and there's a- A hole in the ground. Yeah, a tunnel that shoots him through the city all the way to the Batcave. And then he is able to get into his Batman suit. So it's like- <laughs> that means anytime he says chair in that room yeah that, so like, they're like bruce this is a lovely chair this is a lovely chair yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's wild so, or, or like his assistant comes in and she she says hey um i've always wanted you- to sit in your chair <laughs> <laughs> or or every time he's like uh you know hey i wanted to order a new stop that was close. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, Bruce is really weird. He doesn't uh, like when I say, Chay! Yeah. <laughs> you, you cut to the outside. The, the, the device can hear him from in, inside, yeah. and the, the secretary says it outside his door, and you hear him fall oh down. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that would be so funny. So Ed Begley Jr. gets thrown out the window, but the, cam- the security footage is manipulated to show that he runs out the window. Yeah. But... So, so they have the footage, they have a suicide note, and the uh, Gordon's like, oh, it's a suicide. And then later on in the movie, when like Bruce kind of figures out that it, I don't know, he's just like, oh, obviously that was a homicide. No, it was not obviously a <laughs> homicide. You have a footage of a man running out of a window. I don't get that. And I, Gordon, well, we, we did not know how good, uh, I almost said Goldblum, Oldman gave us with yeah. gordon because gordon in both of these movies has been just a non-entity yeah but in this movie he is actively bad anytime yeah. he says something you're like dude get out of here I know, what is your deal how did you get this job gotham really is in trouble <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um so the bat signal goes off and batman uh goes to the signal and there's a young hot chase meridian in lingerie at yeah. the bat symbol it is wild what and she's, she's kind of like yo do you want to do this? Do you want to do this? Right here, right now. And then and then um Gordon. Uh, Gordon comes up and he's like, Hey, what's going on up here? And then that scene's over. Um yeah. I forgot I wanted to intro it with that um conversation, but I forgot to look it up. Um oh. so then we're at the circus. Cause cause Bruce Wayne. So there's this whole story where Chase Meridian is in love with Batman, but Bruce Wayne is trying to court her. And uh, is is Tad making some noise? He is. Okay, let's get him. So let's, t- we're talking about the circus. Mm-hmm. We took care of Tad, folks. He's in Jordan's arms now. But we had to pause so that you didn't have to hear that. Um, so at the circus, we're introduced to this family of people that wear 
Robin's outfits that we know. I could not believe that they squeezed this character into this movie. I had no idea. He, I thought he was just in the George Clooney one. Yeah. I, I when when they when they showed him, I was just like, how do they have time to put him in this movie? <laughs> and then it's kind of shown like they probably shouldn't have put him in this movie, or like there just were too many cooks. I think. Yeah. In in the movie. I know. I I do feel like you need to shave off one of the villains. Yeah. And then you you need to either pick the Chase Meridian stuff where they're, they're battling with that dual stuff, which I guess. You choose you choose Chase Meridian if the movie's about Two Face. If you choose Riddler, then make it Riddler and Robin and Batman, and forget about Chase Meridian. We don't always need a love interest, people. We don't. Sometimes he can be a father figure to someone. Yeah. Um, Which they try to do both. Yeah, they try and have their cake and eat it too. Yeah. And you know what? They and do have the cake and we'll, they do eat it, and it's sprinkled with a lot of rainbow sprinkles. And we'll get there at the end of the movie, but Batman's a huge hypocrite. I'm saying in this oh, is huge. It's insane. Anyways, anyways, so we're at the circus. There's acrobats. Two-Face shows up, has a bomb. Acrobats got to save the day. All Val Kilmer can do is say, I'm Batman. That's all he can do. And then, um, so Robin goes up to the rafters, gets the bomb, throws it out. It goes in the water, explodes. He saves the day. Yeah. His family all gets killed, though, because they all fall. Right. And, uh, yeah, so he, Robin is, is totally, he's totally disturbed by the fact that he wasn't able to do anything at the circus, which is wild because he He saved saved hundreds of people. He did. He did. Bruce Wayne kind of did nothing. Yeah. I mean, he did attempt to do something. So I, like if something bad happened, I don't fault him. Henchman. Yeah. But um, it's just funny that he, I know that I would have that guilt, like if my family died in a thing, but I think I would hope at the end of the day, the back of my brain would be like, but you did save like a thousand people. He did. <laughs> as, he did everything he could do. And also if you're Batman and Robin comes up to you and he's living at your house, cause now he's living at the house because they don't want him to get tied up in social services, which implies that he is under the age of 18, which this man is in his twenties. Clearly. And does not look any younger than 20. I also just can't believe that he... Well, I, no, no, no. I can believe this because it's 1995. He has an ear pierced. But I can't believe when he's Robin, he keeps his yeah. earring in. I can't well, believe Well, all that. someone would need to do is be like, I was at that circus and a guy wore that... Oh, and everyone but that one guy died. He's Robin. Yeah. Um, But uh, it's what I, what I... I mean, there's always this whole thing. When there's a loner superhero... And and someone says, "Hey, I want to be your partner." They're always like, "No, I, you could never." It'd be kind of cool, and maybe that maybe someone could tell me. Maybe there is like a superhero comic book or a movie I haven't seen or something where someone's like, "Hey, I want to be a partner," and they go, "Okay, that would be awesome." Hmm. Well, I feel like, and this isn't the same thing, mm-hmm. but I feel like they did a really good job in The Dark Knight Rises with a similar thing, because Joseph Gordon-Levitt was trying, to, you know, he was trying so hard to just stop crime and like do his job Uh trying so hard. And he was an orphan as well. And by the end of the movie, you know, his identity is revealed, but not only that Bruce gives him the mantle. Yeah. And the movie was not at no point in the movie was he struggling to attain it. It was just, that's true. He, it's like he earned it. It's just, it's not the same thing, but that's the closest thing I can think of. Yeah. And and I know Batman is a loner, but it is wild. Like this this guy is 
top peak physical form. He's lost his family. He's basically the same origin as you, Batman. Maybe that's why he wants to not want him to do it. He doesn't want him to follow in his footsteps. Yeah, but it's it's like the pros totally outweigh the cons. The guy doesn't yeah. have any attachments. If 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 something like he he doesn't have to be as worried. He just lives in Bruce Bruce's manner and then helps him. I don't know. That's a no brainer for me. Um, but I do. I think actually Winter Soldier they do add Falcon to the team and they encourage him to help them. So maybe that's an example. Yeah, who was he always close to? Like, how did he get involved? I mean, I know he was part of S.H.I.E.L.D., but... Falcon? Yeah. He was, like, an ex-military guy, and Oh, but he, he always did, like... He always used, like, the crazy new develop, technological developments. Yeah, yeah, and then... Oh, I think he was a, with friends with Blackhawk. Who's Blackhawk? Not Blackhawk. Hawkeye. Hawkeye. Oh, okay. Right? I don't think so, because Hawkeye's not in Winter Soldier, but... Oh, I thought he was. I think he may have been friends with Black Widow or something. Yeah, I think you're right. But anyway, uh, so here we go, and... Um, Robin, okay, so Riddler has a scene where he's deciding his name, and he's in this cool lair that has this strange, all these strange costumes and stuff, and he's he's using Photoshop on his computer on a edited, without the penis, uh, Michelangelo's David, mm -hmm. and he's putting costumes on it to see if that'll be a good-looking costume. Mm -hmm. Crazy for the time to have to have this kind of computer knowledge, and also... Crazy, mm -hmm. just wild, and he's being like, "Should I be the questioner? Should I be the?" Which I actually love, like absolutely love, in a like the trope of in a superhero movie where someone's a trying to figure out their name or where someone is trying to give them their name. Like in Spider Man, um, I love when Doctor Octopus is is wreaking havoc. Spider Man Two and J Jonah Jameson is at the bugle, and he's like, "What should we call this guy?" And someone goes, "How about Doctor Octopus?" And he goes, "No, that's too stupid." And he does <laughs> he does a bunch of other names, and then J Jonah Jameson says, "What about Doctor Octopus?" And the guy the guy looks totally defeated. <laughs> I don't remember that. That's so funny. <laughs> and and he also says in that scene, um, the his editor says, "What about Doctor Strange?" And he goes, "It's taken." And <laughs> Like, I just love that kind of stuff. Wow, that's funny. Um, so I love this scene where Riddler's trying to yeah, decide. Yeah, funny. Figures out his name. Um, and then he goes to Two-Face's hideout. Like the design of Two-Face's hideout. I love this. It makes no sense. No. And it implies that everything that Two-Face... Okay, so the room is cut in half. One side is dark and one side is light. And he, the two... Drew Barrymore and the other girl are like the, the two angels. Well, yeah. They're like the two angels on his shoulders. Yeah. And, or the, the angel oh, and the devil. Uh, yeah, sorry, yeah. Sorry. And so they'll be like, hey, do you want some fresh water? And then the other person's like, do you want some dry whiskey? And he's like, I'll have both. <laughs> yeah. And then it'll be like, do you want this uh, vegan cashew milk or do you want this pork fried rice? Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, yes, I eat all things twice. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, is this how he operates his whole life? Yeah. <laughs> he's but cursed, I, yeah like in in this world that schumacher has created this makes so much sense to me and i love this i'm getting cat hair everywhere <laughs> um and so riddler and him team up and they're like we got to kill the batman and i gotta sell these blenders i gotta get these blenders in every home so i can be smart and make gotham dumb 
And then we have this sequence that is my second favorite part of the movie. And I mean, maybe, maybe it's my favorite part of any Batman movie ever. Huh? Robin is in the house with Alfred and he is washing his clothes and Alfred says, oh, like, oh. it's such a hard cut to this, too. <laughs> Alfred says, and it's such a scene that's made for the trailer, you know? You uh-huh. can tell. Um, Alfred's like, hey, don't worry about that stuff. And he goes, no, I'm used to taking care of myself. And he takes his clothes out of the washer. There's and a dryer he, right there. There's by a the dryer. Way. But he starts doing, like, kung fu on all of his clothes to dry them out. And it is a long sequence. And he's doing it for a while, and then he turns to... I mean, you have to look it up, folks, if you haven't seen this movie. Just Robin drying clothes. He looks at Alfred, winks, and gives him a thumbs up. Like, you saw that, didn't you? Yeah. Crazy. I I have no words. And and you know what, Jordan? If I'm remembering right, the next movie is like that scene, but for every scene in the movie. Like, everything is amped I do remember the next movie being nuts. It's nuts. Um... The, also, though, what is? Remember when he's like, "What's in that room?" What, like all the all the doors in this room and this oh, museum yeah, are unlocked. Yeah. He does that. He one. does the penguin thing. He announces what, he what he's going to do. He's like, <laughs> so no, no, wait, okay, okay, wait, wait. So he's up, kind of like on the second story. Watching, he's on the third story, right? Watching Alfred get into this room. It's the secret locked. room to get into the Batcave. Yes, and Alfred opens the door and gets in. The door's closing, and Robin's like, "Now!" And but he's alone. <laughs> yeah, he's the only one doing it, and he, and he goes, does all this parkour that takes way longer than if he just ran down the stairs and got into the room and then he goes in and he sees he's batman and then that's when he's like i want to be batman and there is this great scene i think where batman and him are talking and he goes i need to kill two-face he killed my parents that's the only way i will have revenge and then batman says when you seek revenge every day you look for it and when you continue to look for it once you get it you will never be satisfied and they have the same conversation at least two more times but the first time they have it, I'm like, that. I like that a lot. Yeah, no, that's that's good. And he's speaking from a place of, like, every night I seek revenge for the death of my parents. Yeah. So he's like, I know, and I know if you do this, that is what you will become. Yeah. I So I like to, I think it's before this, but when he discovers the Batcave, um, Bruce is with Chase in her office, and he gets, like, a his Apple Watch gets a call uh from alfred uh-huh. and he's like you're he took your car and he's like oh the bentley no your other car alfred just has some really good acting right there it's yeah. very funny I, I of the three movies we've watched this is my favorite alfred performance it he's really breaking it yeah um but robin goes out into like the seedy parts of gotham although they kind of make it show like the whole city's seedy but this is like black light craziness like rave rave stuff happening and this girl is in distress he saves the girl batman has to help him save the girl but i do think it's like oh this movie is so overindulgent he saves the girl she's like wait aren't you supposed to kiss the girl or something (laughs) yeah so that happens so then there's more so then there's this party that edward nigma is throwing and i think it's like the launch of his product the launch of his product and through this he is able to learn because you can walk into this room and the things you most desire show up in this um, Oculus-type machine. Right. These blenders. And Batman, I mean, Bruce Wayne walks in and tries it, and he sees a bat flying at him. So then Riddler says, what kind of man thinks about a bat as his, like, most thing? I think this is a logical jump to say Bruce Wayne is Batman. 
Uh, yeah. Also, we're kind of forgetting that so much of this movie's runtime, too, is dedicated to flashbacks to him as a child watching his parents die and at their wake. And, like, Bruce realizing that he has all these repressed memories and all this stuff. And it's just, like, such a snooze fest for me because well, I've seen it so often. This is where the whole Schumacher cut thing comes into play because the original version of this movie, and I think this is where the giant human-sized bat comes into play is all those flashbacks are happening and he has thomas wayne's journal and in this movie his whole revelation is he says my dad will never write in this journal again and i have a lot of guilt because of that yeah right but in the the what they dubbed the darker version of this he opens his journal and finally looks at his dad's journal and the final entry says bruce really wants to go to this movie and we don't want to go but we're going to take him anyway Oh, that's dark. And so he's grappling with, like, I am the reason my parents died. Yeah. And then I think the idea was, like, he would face the manifestation of his fear. And it was, like, he would, like, the human-sized bat was not, like, a bad guy. It was, like, his he's fighting his fear in his brain. Oh. I think. And Can't that, imagine that being, interest, like, cool. <laughs> oh, that sounds kind of cool oh, to okay. me. okay. I just don't know how they could have done that well. Yeah. Um. But anyway, so... I do think, like the whole movie, I was I I was waiting for that reveal that he's the one who decided to take them to the movies, um, but yeah. then I then I remembered, oh yeah, that was just in the behind the scenes, and they were talking about how it was originally supposed to go. It does that all that stuff does feel like. I mean, I understand why they kept part of that in, like as just Bruce development. Yeah, um, but it was just like a little too much. And I yeah, I think if you had a bigger reveal like that, it actually you do go oh. Okay. Yeah. Even if you don't include the big bat that he fights, but him seeing the notebook say that Bruce wants to go to this movie and we don't, he's grappling with that guilt. That if that's a had, little more developed. If they had included the big bat, it should have it should have looked like the one in the Arkham video game. Yeah. Oh, that the thing ma- was a man scary. bat. That's that's an actual uh, villain. That's scary to me. Yeah. Those games are so fun. I gotta play those again. It's been a long time. Um. So then Bruce tries the box. Okay, then Robin saves him. They argue about partners. There's some more. So Wait, wait, wait. I got to say, at that party, he changes into his bat suit and Chase kisses him and says, midnight, my place. She, <laughs> she like, stops him from fighting crime to tell him, come to my apartment and we'll bang later. <laughs> yeah. And so he comes to her apartment and she's like, you know what? I'm actually in love with someone else. And Batman turns around and he smiles cheesiest, like a little boy. The cheesiest thing ever. He's like, she likes Bruce Wayne. He likes me for me. <laughs> and then um, he's like, cool, I can quit being Batman because I got this girl now. Even though he's had two other girls. He's in ready other to movies. move on, basically. Yeah. And then uh, Riddler and Two-Face attack his mansion. This scene is cool. Yeah. I like the idea of Batman's mansion being, like, destroyed. Yeah. Um, so they come in, they throw bombs, they destroy his Batcave. His mansion's destroyed in the first movie, and Batman begins. That's true, yeah. I'm just remembering that. That's yeah. All. <laughs> this whole episode has been me having random thoughts. <laughs> and um, so they do all of that, and then, of course, you know, he has to don the cape once again, and this yes. time Robin's coming with him. And there is what I will dub as Bat-ass. Because There's the camera just, shot. He, he, the, he like swings his butt and the camera's like, whoo, bat ass, armor plated butt. Yeah. And then we have the final showdown with Riddler and Two-Face and Robin. 
and there's a lot of nonsense going on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's crazy. It's zany. It kind of just rips, but it also kind of sucks. It does that because sense. the whole movie's been like crazy, 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 which we did say at the, at the top. We do appreciate that, that they're just giving us everything, but it does make this feel less crazy. <laughs> yeah. But they're on an island that Riddler has made, and it, it does, because this movie has been so crazy, I'm okay with all this stuff, but it does beg the question of, like, holy crap, how did you build this island? How are there, like, the elevator shafts? Like, what is going on? Yeah. But it's also, like, this movie isn't concerned with that, so we shouldn't be either. Sure, yeah. Um. So then they fight. Batman, in cold blood, kills Two-Face. You have a lot to talk about. Go. So, yeah, he, well, Batman has to admit decide between saving chase or um robin but then he throws a riddle at the riddler and it confuses him or something and he's able to save all of them or both of them no no he's talking to two-face and he throws coins at two-face when when two-face flips a coin that's after robin and chase have been saved yeah i'm you didn't we were just i'm getting back to that first he saves robin and chase um so then saves them from falling into a pit of uh, spikes death. or something yeah yeah so then um he's fighting two-face now and two-face flips a coin to like what am i gonna do and at the moment he does that batman throws a bunch of coins and it makes uh two-face throws him off balance and he falls to his death when the reason i say he saved robin and chase earlier is the way he saved them was with like a rope that he shot and it saved them mm-hmm. how come he didn't do that with two-face no so he just lets him die and Robin's right there to watch it. Yeah. And the whole time he's telling Robin, don't kill him. So then Batman just kills him. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure Robin had, was very confused right now. Yeah. And that's that. Yeah. And like, like the first Batman movie, and like a lot of superhero movies, the love interest i mean it resolves but it doesn't really you know it's just like you know you assume they live happily ever after whatever sure yeah but it's also like well we're in the third movie and the third different girl so i don't know how i'm supposed to take this ending you know yeah um so that's i mean that's the movie yeah it's i like it and i don't yeah i mean again i would just prefer this kind of crazy experimentation than a by-the-numbers superhero movie any day of the week. It, it wasn't boring. You can't say it was boring. And I, I like, don't care to watch it again. I would watch it again. Yeah. And and I don't I I don't mind like I also like that it's it's different, but it's not different by them telling a darker version of a character. Yes, that's true. So um I think it's kind of cool. And I think it's I think because of the current state of superhero movies, it's like a breath of fresh air in a lot of ways and it kind of is like aging well in a weird way yeah it does watching it it is it does feel refreshing and is like maybe people need to come back directors or writers or whatever need to come back to this to this in the next movie i'm assuming yeah and then pull the those parts that really work yeah and make something just really really fun i mean and that's the aquaman yeah. thing i i yeah. think i think we're gonna watch that and just be like that was fun yeah and Nicole Kidman's in that. <laughs> the only other thing I can think of is as really fun as Guardians, but I think that's also how their comic books are written. Yeah. Those like the all of their dynamics are really like just tongue in cheek already. Well, see, so that's a good example, though, of 
Because I don't want someone to go back, watch the Schumacher, Schumacher Batmans and say, okay, cool, I'm going to make a funny, goofy Superman movie. I want them to watch it, respect what it is, like what's cool about it, dislike what's not cool about it, but be like, this is an experimentation. I'm going to make my own thing. And I'm not, like, the thing we keep talking about with Joker, because you just have to talk about it, Yeah, is it feels like they they did not make a Joker movie because they wanted to make a Joker movie and do their own take. It was like, we want to make something twisted and dark for the sake of making it twisted and dark. And that's how this Snyder stuff feels to me as well. Yeah, Not because we have something artistic to say. It feels like they're just doing it because they think that would be cool to like make people like do something controversial. It's just so it makes no sense to me because superheroes are supposed to be role models. Like they are the good guy. Yeah. And I like, there are some characters where, you know, they're, they're complicated, but they do choose to be good at the end of the day. They choose to be good. And like with all the Marvel movies we have it, like with the end of the whole franchise with Endgame, well with that part of it, like, you, you feel so much pride for all of the characters watching it because of how much they've earned, whether or not their movie was good or not. Yeah. Like they were still good guys. And with, with DC, it's just like, you're just making them dark. Yeah. How am I supposed to root for them? Well, and, and think about a movie like Shazam, which is a really great fun movie. And, and it's in that similar vein as guardians where it's like, this is so much fun. Yeah. It's directed by a horror director. Yeah. And yet, it does get into deep issues and it has comments about those things. I mean, it's talking about like foster care and stuff like that. It's, yeah. it's, and it's showing, but it's like a very, those, both those movies, all three of those movies are very hopeful, but they aren't afraid to get into dark issues, but they don't have to, you know, make, they don't have, I don't know. I don't know. I know I'm rambling, but it's just, I don't know. I, we could use some more interesting stuff that isn't, interesting because it's dark you're allowed to explore things that aren't dark and still they're they're interesting yep but i may i mean my whole theory is i mean you know we go through cycles and art and art changes and stuff and i think we're we're getting past a little bit past the pinnacle of like dark blockbuster yeah. cinema i think we are getting back to now people have grown up with the 90s and movies like this are now the directors and they're a little like I don't know. I want to have fun in my movie. Uh huh. I don't. I don't need it to be this dark, twisted thing every time. Yeah. Unless, lest we forget that the three Batman movies that Nolan made are actually a lot of fun. Yeah. And there, there's humor in them, and they're not just they're not just dour, like sludgy, sloggy movies. Nope. So this movie rules. Batman <laughs> Forever. Jeez. Let's let's uh, definitely if you haven't watched it definitely watch it it's it's at the very least it's a relic of its time and you've never seen anything like it unless you've seen batman and robin <laughs> yeah but um should we announce our series after or sh or should we wait till next week let's wait till next week for fun okay so as you know we're doing these batmans and then we're gonna do take a trilogy break and then we're gonna do nolan batmans then a trilogy break and then we're gonna do dceu so listen next week to find out what we're covering in between whenever these you say dceu i think of like dc european edition <laughs> anyway cool well thanks for listening please um rate us five stars on apple and please go to patreon.com slash micah that's m-i-c-a-h-m-c-c-a-w 
we do um if you sign up for three bucks you get an extra um episode every month where we cover sequels it's mpu the sequel and this month we're finishing up zoolander and we're doing zoolander 2 and next month we're going to do a bonus episode where we do the adam west batman movie yes and that will not be released to the public so you'll want to check that out yeah for full batman coverage and we also talked about maybe doing mask of the phantasm that might be a fun one too i love that movie that movie's good yeah we'll see you next week thanks (laughs) 